Our life-sustaining sun and all of its strength was created in just one day by the Lord Jesus Christ. But evolutionists believe the sun took billions of years to develop. We'll challenge that claim and discuss scientific facts about our created sun. Stay tuned. Our sun is an essential, steady light put in the sky for our benefit by the hand of the Creator. This is Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal. I'm Chris O'Brien with the Institute for Creation Research. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. The sun is one of the most important pieces of God's handiwork. And while the Bible tells us that the sun was created on day four to rule the day, evolutionists believe it took five billion years to form. Join us for the next 15 minutes as we discuss some of the problems with this evolutionary opinion and learn how God created the sun perfectly for our environment and survival. At some 93 million miles away, the sun is set perfectly in space. Dr. Donald Young is professor of physics at Grace College in Winona Lake, Indiana. Our sun is located at the center of the solar system. It holds the planets firmly in orbit with its strong solar gravity. The sun is also the source of almost all our energy here on Earth. It causes the plants to grow, both past and present. Much of our coal, oil, and gas reserves result from vegetation which grew in the years before the great flood of Noah's time. We are totally dependent on solar energy. So just how does the sun shine? For much of history, this source of heat was not understood. There were suggestions of burning carbon or comets continually striking the sun. Today we realize that the sun and other stars are heated by a process called nuclear fusion. Inside the sun, atoms of hydrogen combine or fuse and become helium. Some of the sun's mass or matter is converted into energy in the forms of heat, light and radiation. Many creation scientists also suggest that some of the sun's energy along with nuclear fusion is produced by a contraction of the sun. With nuclear fusion and possible gravity contraction, the sun produces more energy every second than mankind has produced since the creation. But is it true that the sun is losing mass and could someday burn out? In the fusion process, the sun loses an amazing 5 million tons of matter every second, day and night. However, this weight loss is entirely insignificant. The fuel tank of the sun is still full. It could continue its present energy output for untold generations to come. Dr. Ron Samick, professor of physics and astronomy at Bob Jones University in South Carolina, says the sun was created to last. If you look at the evolutionary diagrams, the sun sits at a point that makes it very, very stable and quiet. And astronomers have made the comment that the sun is very, very well behaved and that the sun is very smooth. I think as uh, we try to look at the sun, we can see that it was made the way it was because God has created it and it is mature and at the right development and at the right chemistry so that it would be well-behaved and provides life, giving warmth to the earth and its inhabitants. And I think of the verse Isaiah 45:18 that says, For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. He hath established it, he hath created it not in vain, 
he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. Just how big is the sun? Well, in comparison, if the sun were the size of a basketball, the earth would be the size of a pinhead. At 870,000 miles in diameter, the sun could hold over 1.3 million planet Earths. And with a 10,000 degree surface temperature and 27 million degrees at the center, the sun is the perfect size and temperature to sustain life on Earth. Our sun is an average star. There are some similar stars in the night sky and also others very different. There are white dwarfs, very small stars. With a white dwarf at the center of the solar system, the Earth would freeze. There are other stars called red giants, very large. With a red giant in the solar system, the Earth would melt. An average star is just what is needed and provided for the solar system. And there are other interesting things about our exceptional sun. Dr. Samick. One is it's a very low velocity with respect to the stars around it. Uh, stars are supposed to pick up speed with age as they pick up energy from the clouds of dust and gas that swarm around them. Most every star that's been observed well has been found to have a companion. That means that it's a double star or a triple star. And, of course, the sun is not. It's a single star. And so just its absence of, uh, of companion stars makes the sun different. It's been estimated that of 100,000 normal stars, there would be less than five solar analogs, stars that are roughly like the sun. However, there is a star that is somewhat comparable to our sun. After a lot of searches to try to find solar twins, only one star, a star called 18 Sco, turns out to be a star that's fairly similar to the sun and stable like the sun. But studies of even 18 Sco's chemical abundances show that it is not even like the sun, if you compare the pattern of its elements. And so we see the sun is very unique. And the Creator made this special star to shine at just the right brightness. Dr. DeYoung. One distinctive of the sun is its steady light output. The solar energy varies by less than one-tenth of one percent over a decade. Many other stars are quite erratic. Their brightness varies continually, as if a light dimmer was being turned. We can be grateful for the steady, pleasant sunshine that we enjoy. As the sun's light meets the earth, our planet glows with a beautiful blue color. Likewise, the dusty moon glows yellow. Even when the moon's surface is illuminated, the vast darkness of space beyond gives the moon a black sky. Our sky is a blue color because of the scattering of sunlight by our atmosphere. It's interesting to note that although the sun was created to give us light, it was absent the first three days of creation. In the creation week, light is created on the first day. Let there be light, and there it was. And yet the sun, moon, and stars do not get created until day number four. I think there's even a reason for that. God put off the creation of the lights in the sky to show that they're not priority, they're not number one, they shouldn't be worshipped. We don't know what that light was on the first day. God himself is light, and apparently he made some temporary light that was hitting the earth for the first three days of creation. 
Some would say that without the sun, uh, the plants would freeze and the water would freeze on the earth during the first part of the week. But of course, God was in control. The whole week was supernatural and he was carrying it out with or without the sun. Genesis 1 verses 16 and 17 say, And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. Yet evolutionists do not believe God's word and insist that the sun evolved over billions of years. Dr. Danny Faulkner is professor of physics at the University of South Carolina at Lancaster. One big conundrum that evolutionary scientists have had is the origin of the sun. The creationists think that uh, the sun was supernaturally created by God, but evolutionists have to believe the sun came about through purely physical processes. And the process, they think, is the gravity of the sun or the gas cloud that formed the sun slowly contracted the matter down and heated it up. They think that stars start out as large gas clouds a few light years across and then shrink down gradually over time to the size that the stars now have. However, this scenario would not work. Now, while it's true a gas cloud will have self-gravity, the pressure of the gas often exceeds that of the gravity of the cloud. So if you did scrunch the gas cloud down a little bit, the gas pressure would force it back out and re-expand the cloud. This has been a long-standing problem, I know going back at least to the 1960s, maybe even earlier than that when the modern ideas of stellar structure and evolution were developed. So, evolutionary scientists suggest the involvement of supernovas. A supernova is a titanic explosion of a massive star that sends out a large shock wave. If a supernova were to go off anywhere near the solar system today, the radiation given off would probably destroy all life on Earth. So it's kind of good that these are rare and far apart. Now, if this gas cloud were hit by a shock wave from a supernova explosion, it could actually contract part of the gas cloud down and form a star. But this still does not answer the question of an evolving sun. Here's a real problem. If you have to realize that a supernova is simply a star that exploded, so the question arises, where did that star come from? Well, of course, it came from some supernova explosion that contracted another gas cloud down before that. And you keep working this back, eventually you have to have at least one generation, the very first generation of stars, that came about through some other process. Of course, this process has never been explained nor described. So it's getting back to some sort of non-physical explanation, it would seem. And I think that's the biggest problem for the supernova origin for the solar system and the sun. It ultimately doesn't tell us where stars came from anyway. Another major problem for evolution regarding the sun's development is that of timing. Dr. Samick. What would the sun be like if there was a time when the sun was young and life was supposedly evolving on the earth? Well, the first thing we see is that the sun would be much less luminous than our present sun. About 68% is bright. Now, what this does is it puts the habitable zone, the zone where uh, water can be liquid, it puts it inside of the Earth's orbit so the Earth no longer is in an area that supports life. It's a frozen orb. This is called the early faint sun paradox and has been discussed by Faulkner and many other people. So during the time when life was supposed to be evolving on the Earth, the Earth was frozen. So how do evolutionary scientists explain this problem? Dr. Faulkner. The most likely attempt people have used is that the early Earth's atmosphere had much larger amount of greenhouse gases. And as time went by, the greenhouse gases diminished in just the same amount to compensate for the increase in brightness of the sun. 
Well, the real problem that I can see with this is the fact that it's a real delicate balance. If the greenhouse gases diminish too quickly or don't diminish fast enough as the sun slowly brightens, then the Earth runs off into a very frigid state or into an overheated state. It's a very delicate balance, and there's no way you can have a feedback mechanism to make this balance. Therefore, this is not a convincing concept. It's very difficult for me to believe that over four or five billion years you could have had two totally unrelated processes exactly compensating each other. And I think that this is the real problem for a sun that's billions of years old. Dr. DeYoung offers a realistic view of the sun's existence. An inviting alternative is that the sun was placed in the sky supernaturally on the fourth day of creation. Ever since, it's been the greater light that rules the day. Our sun is an essential, steady light put in the sky for our benefit by the hand of the Creator. As our program comes to a close, we hope that you've been encouraged. It's our desire at ICR to show that the Bible can be trusted, both historically and scientifically, and to give facts that will build your faith. As Christians, we need to understand the scientific basis for our beliefs. We pray that this program will aid you in your discovery of science and the Bible. You know, most people aren't aware that today there are thousands of scientists that are convinced of the truth of biblical creation and not evolution. Our non-denominational ministry aims to restore and strengthen the Genesis foundations of the Christian faith. If you've enjoyed today's edition of Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, why not visit us on the web to find out more about the work of ICR. The address is www.icr.org. Again, www.icr.org. Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, is a production of ICR. For the Institute for Creation Research, I'm Chris O'Brien. Thanks for tuning in.